everyone and welcome to Canadians with Disabilities and Their Allies. My name is Brent. I'm the host for the show and today I have a special guest and I'm welcoming Rowan Burge from BC Poverty Reduction Coalition. Thank you very much Rowan for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me both of you. Yeah, thank you. It's a great pleasure having you on. So, uh, can you uh, tell me uh, a little bit about um, BC Poverty Reduction Coalition and how did you get involved with uh, the uh, with the organization? Sure, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. Uh, my name is Rowan Burge. I'm the provincial director of the BC Poverty Reduction Coalition. Um, I use she and they pronouns, and I'm calling in today from the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Um, the BC Poverty Reduction Coalition is a coalition of about 80 different organizations that includes more grassroots community mobilizations, some nonprofits, labor unions, different folks invested in reducing and eliminating poverty across British Columbia. So we're a coalition of folks that get together and work on public policy solutions that don't just reduce poverty, but and, um, aim to, in fact, eradicate poverty entirely across British Columbia. Um, and I came to this work a little bit through a, a both combination of, I'd say, lived experience as a person with a chronic illness who has an expensive chronic illness who pays a lot of money out of pocket for medical supplies, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of how I got more involved in the advocacy side. Mm -hmm. um, and also as somebody who has a background in frontline housing work in the downtown east side. And so bringing together both lived experience and policy work is really important to me and having kind of both components of that uh, be present in my job is is incredible. So I've been with the PRC um, for about a year and a half now and, and really enjoying the work and, and there's always more to do so it's a yeah it's a really important um, area that I'm sure a lot of folks can uh, respond to right now um, poverty is in many of our lives and yeah so it's a really important role that I have and, and a great organization of, of many many different stakeholders yeah. great um, you know it's um, definitely poverty doesn't need to exist in British Columbia or anywhere in Canada at all I mean we live in no. such a wealthy nation um, so when I hear poverty, uh, I think of why. why. Why does poverty even exist? And, and there's so many reasons um, why why there's poverty. I mean, it shouldn't exist. Um, there's a lot of um, issues in, in life where people, have, you know, their lived experience, right? They all have stories of why things have happened to themselves, um, you know, un unforeseen circumstances. Uh, you know, they're born with a disability or they've developed a disability or they've become homeless. There's so many... There's so many aspects that uh, that contribute to uh, you know to that, uh, and it adds on more of a burden to like more poverty. Like it's, if you're paying out more in medical expenses and and, and um, you know expensive housing, um, the cost of food, as we know, I mean, it's gone up 
this end is still keeps going up um and economically that, yeah. you know yeah and that adds on to poverty right because you're paying all your money out in so many areas and you don't have money to put back into the economy into each community uh, so what is your take on on that like how do you see um the poverty playing playing into those kind of roles like into those you know say roles into those channels of um issues that are happening in today's society yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what you said before was really important. Poverty, you know, I think we've been taught to believe that poverty is an individual choice or an individual responsibility when in fact it's a political choice that collectively, you know, has been made um, and impacts many people. But poverty is absolutely um, not inevitable. It's not a natural phenomenon. It's something that we can prevent and it's something that we can intervene on. And in fact, we are a very wealthy province, BC, um, and we absolutely have the means to end poverty entirely in BC. So I do want to make sure that point is clear for folks. Like poverty is not yes. an individual. Um, nobody chooses, nobody wakes up and decides to be living in poverty or living in terrible conditions. So we need to keep that in mind. Um, and I think you're right that right now we're seeing, you know, a rising cost of food, gas, inflation's really impacting people, even as we're recovering from things like COVID-19, um, like some of the, you know, extreme weather events that really impacted many, many people, including, you know, drastic catastrophic floods, heat domes, things like that, that have really put people, you know, made people very vulnerable and, and impacted things like our food systems that have caused impacts that are cascading. And, and in fact, it's the majority of folks that are experiencing the burden of those impacts are working people, low income people, people with disabilities, indigenous peoples, and, you know, none of None of those folks um, should have to live in the ways that they're having to live right now. And the choices that people are having to make around paying for medication, putting food on the table, you know, those are not choices that people should have to make. And and unfortunately, we're in a situation now where, you know, poverty is impacting many people in deep, deep ways. And it's um, entirely preventable suffering, in my in well, my opinion. Well, just before we launched the, uh, the show here, we were talking a little bit off camera and uh... We were talking about the, the fact here in BC that the um, the provincial minister for uh, social development is starting to do these uh, town hall meetings, uh, poverty mm. poverty reduction town hall meetings. And the thing that kind of bugs me, of course, is when the, is when they they put feelers out and they they say, well, tell us how to reduce poverty, like it, like it's some yeah. sort of like tell us the magic solution for reducing poverty. And I was like, are you kidding? You've, you've already studied this thing to death. Like, you know what the solution is. Like, yeah. raising the rates and, like, stopping yes. <laughs> stopping the clawbacks. Yeah. That's that's it. Raise the rates and stop the clawbacks. And yet they they come out and they're like, well, give us the magic solution. Like, well, what's, the, what's this fix for poverty? And they, they know it. And, and yet they, they think that we all have, like, Dunce camps on them. We don't know what we're talking about, or something. I don't know, but it, it's kind of insulting well, the way they do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, because like there was a report that was actually put out. I'm glad you mentioned that, Neil, because there was a report that was put out uh, on uh, January 28th of 2021. It was completed report. It was uh, submitted, and that report was worked on many months beforehand during COVID times, right? Uh, way back then, and uh, in, yeah. so when the minister who was then then in in charge. Um, knew about that report, right? But it got delivered in you know, January 20, 2021 when we had the uh, supplement that was given out and that changed people's lives in so many positive ways of, you know, here's here's $300, right? But now we're gonna take it away because, well, you know, you don't need that 300, right? Cost of living wasn't gonna go up, no, or rents or no, but we're gonna give you back 175 of it because, mm -hmm. well, 
people said, well, yeah, we need to live. So, well, we'll give you back some of it. So people cried out about it. And that was every right, right? They're upset saying, mm-hmm. why can't you just give back the full 300? Well, that's the best we can do right now. Two years for, fast forward. Well, here's the other $125, but that was an increase, yeah. right? So rather than just giving people that money all at once, mm-hmm. or like, I mean, for me personally, I had to move because I didn't have the full $300 that was made permit. They made the 175 permit. Now here's the 125. So I had to make a huge sacrifice uh, to where I was living. And because uh, I couldn't afford it. If I had that money, I would have, my whole outcome would have been different. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, and, and that's again, that's it's called legislative poverty, right? Because they deliberately do these things knowing that it's going to have a huge impact on someone's life where if they were to listen to lived experience, listen to people, I mean, God forbid, right? Um, right. <laughs> you, you know, uh, do the right thing and actually listen and look at the report. Because that report, I mean, I didn't even read through the whole thing. It was over 500 pages. Very long report, uh, yes. <laughs> and that was very in-depth report. And it actually mm-hmm. shows all the, the issues that, uh, that are happening. And now they want to do a town hall meeting and yeah. say, let's talk about it, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the, 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 key, the key word you said there, that you said there, Brent, is deliberate. The whole yeah. thing is, it's very, very deliberate. Like, and uh, again, one of the comments made off camera before we launched was, uh, you know, the, the fact like um, when Shane Simpson was the minister, uh, he yeah. had a similar, um, you know, uh, town hall thing where I went, I went to, I, I went to see him and he had it in Surrey here. And, yeah. um, and so they give you a, a booklet and they say, oh yeah, we're going to, take a whole bunch of questions and things like that but the thing the thing about it was it's it was all kind of prepackaged, and it was like you knew the way the booklet was designed um certain questions were off the table you couldn't ask anything about raising the rates like and that's like one of the biggest quite like of course you're gonna want to want to ask questions about that and nobody could you couldn't ask anything about raising the rates that was off the table it's like you know, help us solve, help us solve poverty, but don't mention anything about rates. That's off the table. And it's like, how can that be off the table? <laughs> and how can you have an honest discussion about poverty when when raising the rates is off the table in a public dis- discussion? That's to me is that just it's just ridiculous, just really ridiculous. I, I remember when I, I went to um, some of the town hall meetings too, and uh, you were only allowed to ask one question each. Um, so Sonia asked a question. Uh, I believe it was, uh, are, are you going to um, increase the uh, the shelter? And I and I asked him, are you going to tie the rates to inflation? And the que- and the answer was no, no to both questions. And I bet well rents were at the same time back then, and that was when they were when he was doing uh, Shane someone was doing the town hall meetings, uh, and the shelter at that time was still three seventy five. Now, technically, technically, okay, like they're now they're going to be given that, that increase of 125 to the shelter, but that doesn't take effect until July 19th. So technically, those rates are still frozen until 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 July 19th. So um, you know, 125 added to that 375, the historic or I call it archaic rates, is now going to push it to 500 dollars. Where can you find a place to rent? In the province of British Columbia, for five hundred dollars a month for market rent, let alone even uh, like they subsidize housing. 
uh, they don't even benefit from that 125 at all. Um, so I think it was a divide between disabled versus disabled, um, and, and that's wrong. I know in the report, um, it actually indicated uh, there was a suggestion, uh, which it was really emphasized in there too, about combining, combining mm -hmm. both shelter and, uh, and, and um, rent, or you know, shelter and support, combining it all into one. So regardless of their accommodation, um, their, their living situation, they're always going to have that check. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't mm -hmm. change people's lives in so many ways. So if they can't afford that high market rent, maybe they can only afford because cost of living $200, $300, and they can pay a, a landlord to say, hey, yeah, you can stay here, but I require you just to, you know, chip in, give me some money, uh, the flat amount. Hey, I, but according to the government, that's not a fixed address. That's not, if it's not a fixed address, you don't get that shelter. So with that recommendation, that would change people's lives in so many ways. I think there was a, a basically a bad opportunity um, that what they did was they put that that 125 to shelter. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think the opportunity they could have done was just put to the support, but blend it all into one. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how many jurisdictions in Canada has it. I, I think, I believe Ontario has it and British Columbia. I think I heard rumors, a little mumbling that Alberta was trying to do it that way too, but mm -hmm. they never did. But, uh, you know, anyway, that's their, their jurisdiction. What's your view on that? Uh, I'm just going on the shelter versus the support. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, like I think the report that you mentioned, the basic, um, basic income BC panel report that came out a couple of years ago is a report mm -hmm. that the government itself asks for, you know, these very smart, wonderful academic folks to look into. And they've made a like, robust series of recommendations around things like a targeted basic income that includes very strong and excellent recommendations like, um, for example, extended health for low income people across BC um, and like an overhaul of the way that the disability and income assistance payments are made right now, because we know there's so many barriers and problems for folks. And I think you're right that like, you know, what we just saw in budget 2023 is a, is a slight increase to the shelter rate, which by the way, hadn't been raised since 2006. So the word archaic, I think you used before is absolutely appropriate. Um, you know, so I, I do think that you're you're right that many of those dollars won't go into the hands of people that need it most. It'll go into housing providers and, and folks, um, not into you know basic necessities like food and medication that many families are really having a hard time you know getting right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're right that it, there is this frustration of the government you know wanting more recommendations, even though they've been given and, and come up with these great recommendations from the basic panel report. Um, and, and you know we continue to advocate to raise the rents, or excuse me, not the rents, the rates. I want to be clear about that. The rates. Um, <laughs> oh good. Oh good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> across the board, you know, we hear from so many stakeholders that that would be the biggest impact on the most people experiencing deep poverty. Like I'm, I'm sure you two are aware, but the rates are still well. Below the poverty line and the poverty line of course has been the the line of bare minimum necessity that people need to survive not um you know not a good life not a not an abundant life but a, a basic needs life and we're still treating people um as though they deserve to be well below that life and, and so that's a huge huge issue and i think raising the rates is probably the number one recommendation that we'd make to government around how to actually make people's lives better in bc especially people experiencing deep poverty um, one other interesting piece that I've been thinking a lot about is how with the CERB, you know, we saw people, you know, people generally were 
find found that acceptable that two thousand dollars was a good amount to live and and we know that the poverty line is slightly below that and we know also that people on disability are getting less than that and so it's very difficult to justify uh, not raising the rates i think um and so yeah i think i think you're right that it can be really frustrating to you know have these consultations and over and over be told we need to raise the rates we need to you know build affordable non-market housing we need to build accessible housing for people because there's still you know major barriers for people with mobility devices to find places that they can live in um so yeah i think there's still a lot um that needs to happen to <laughs> yeah. move these very very i think reasonable asks forward i was going to mention the serb so i'm glad you did too because because mm -hmm. i know yeah. that was i mean as soon as the pandemic hit and they rolled out the serb and then they said okay everybody needs two thousand dollars to live but then they then they rolled out nothing for if you were on disability or mm -hmm. uh in bc here we did get the six hundred dollars but it was a one-time payment six hundred dollars one-time payment and everybody else got two thousand dollars for 12 months <laughs> and it's like there's a little bit of a equity problem there Absolutely. you know but it only but it only went to a certain amount of people it who only got went the, to some people not etc yeah yeah and also like the, uh, the the official poverty level um, for the LICO of uh, formula, just so that people that are watching it, uh, the bare minimum. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about CERB too, because the, the bare minimum, but when the beginning of the pandemic was two thousand dollars. Now, now they indicated the Fed said two thousand was the bare minimum that people needed. Now <clears throat> that was in 2020. So now in 20. The 2021 formula came out, and uh, and that's $2,200 a month. So annually, it's $26,400 a year. So it's $2,200 a month, and that is the bare minimum that is supposed to be required for every Canadian in, in the country. So that doesn't include uh, if a person has a disability; they got other disability-related expenses above that amount. So that should be the bare minimum, and I think to get there are rates across the country up to that at least up to that i mean obviously more is is needed for uh, uh, definitely mm -hmm. uh, but at least get it up to that level so that because of these high rents right now and the cost of living is skyrocket at least if we get up to that people are maybe we'll be able to have a housing and combine the the rent and the support into one so now because mm -hmm. the rents are so high with now boosting that other level up, now it's going to give people that uh, that success level that now they can do more things, put money back into the economy, uh, go and visit people. Um, I mean, God forbid, if you want to travel. <laughs> no, no, no. You need permission to get out of that province for 30 days. That's got to yeah. end too, right? Yeah. And those are clawbacks. Mm -hmm. That's like a clawback. Neil will talk about that, uh, about clawbacks. Yeah, stuff. I, I wanted to actually circle around to clawbacks because uh, last yeah. week we had Vivica on the show and 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 of course she's famous for the single mothers alliances famous for yes. uh, ending the clawbacks for the for the uh, child child support mm. and um you know and that's why i hooked up with her that many years ago like eight or nine years ago was because i'm very passionate about it about it because i was i've got my uh survivor's pension clawed back for like 10 years now and um you know that that's another thing that it doesn't like you you want you want uh policy to make sense like it has to make logical sense right and and like you can just say well you know a clawback's a clawback what's the big deal but the problem is is when the when the government says we'll allow 
like uh, fifteen thousand dollars of exempt of exempt of exempt income every every year. They say mm -hmm. it's a, it used to be like a thousand dollars a thousand dollars a month, and they've they've increased it to fifteen thousand dollars for for the year. When they say they have, you can have exempt income income of fifteen thousand dollars for the year, but then they turn around and say, you know what? If you if you have your spouse die, I'm I'm sorry, we're not going to cover that. I mean, that's that does not make sense. Like, how, how can you be so perverse and punishing and say? Mm -hmm will allow $15,000 of, of exempt income. I can't even say exempt, sorry. Um, but, but, then, but then say, you know, your, your SOL, if your spouse dies, sorry, we're not going to cover that. And I mean, the yeah. government's famous for saying things like wraparound supports and, you know, oh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, like, um, you know, targeted, targeted incomes and wraparound. Well, what do you, what do you think what do you think a survivor's pension is? A survivor's pension is a targeted support. It's a wraparound support, and and so they're they're torpedoing their own arguments of like you know let's have a wraparound support. Let's have to do a targeted income. Well, that's exactly what a survivor's pension is. That, that's exactly what a WCB claim is. That's exactly what a, a veteran's pension is or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they just they just say you know what we're going to just invalidate it, and it doesn't matter. You know, to, to heck with all the like, targeted incomes, to heck with all the wraparound supports. Your your wraparound support of your survivor's pension doesn't matter. And that to me is just crazy, crazy, crazy. I, I, it it's not, doesn't make yeah. logical, there's no logical sense there. There's, there's a complete gap in logic, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> so. that can be so frustrating from the outside to see, you know, these decisions being made and be like, that just doesn't make common sense. Like anybody yeah. can say like, well, if you don't want people to be in poverty, then why wouldn't you allow people to work and not claw that back from them? Because essentially mm -hmm. you're forcing people to, to be capped out under the poverty line um, without any recourse or any ability. And then they wonder why folks are going into gray economies or, you know, not claiming work or, you know, like taking measures into their own hands when they're not able to afford basic, basic needs and basic necessities. That reminded me too, when you were speaking too about the issue of the spousal cap for people on disability, which I think is just outrageous. Like it's crazy too, um, yeah. Yeah, it just forces people to be financially dependent on a partner, yeah. um, rather than make independent life choices, and it, it it really puts people in precarious situations. And and they've proven violence. they've proven that 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 causes you know more domestic violence Absolutely. because there's more Absolutely. dependency on the on the yeah. spouses, right? And that's that's not a good place to be. You know, you know, and that's the you know that that word autonomy, right? It's it's a huge mm -hmm. word, um, you know, because that's. Uh, it allows people to make decisions that are that are best for themselves and i'm always so careful with that word autonomy right because it's like it can go different directions but in general terms i mean people should be able to have proper movement of what they want to go it's like like i mentioned just a little while ago uh, you know to the listeners who are watching this it's like so right now you need to ask permission to leave the province right for 30 days you need to go you, I mean, yeah, you know, if you want to go over to Nova Scotia to go and visit, maybe go and visit somebody or go to Alberta and just, you know, get away. I mean, go and check out the Rocky Mountains or whatever. Go to Ontario. You need 30 days, uh, say, to travel. Uh, maybe you're going to be away. You know, can I pretty please go? Uh, can I, you know, I remember that in, in school, <laughs> looking back at that Rowan and, you know, for, I'd be in class the, and i put my pass. head up. And for the bathroom pass, like, yeah. Put my head up. Yeah, yeah, yes, Prince. <laughs> 
Can I go to the washroom? Well, no, go, go. You don't need to ask. Just go. Yeah. You need to go and do it. Don't tell me. Just go. Do I need a hall pass? Go. It's the same thing as that someone needs to go to another province. Go. You know what? Because you're still going to pay your rent. As long as a person pays their rent, pays their bills, buys their food, does it really matter? No. I mean, it's called, right now, it's called a um, basically suffocating the movement of people, right? That mm -hmm. doesn't need to happen. People should be able to move wherever they want to go. Actually, even the word move, they should be able to move. I mean, move physically or move mm -hmm. move geographically wherever they want to go because their disability does not go away. You know, well, they're on, born. On last week's show and, and on pre previous other shows too, we've talked about the word stigma because yeah, even... Yeah. Even our own uh, Minister of Social Development here, our, our new one here in BC, right. she, she did a speech um, in the legislature and she used, she herself used the word stigma. It was five or six times, almost in the same sentence, almost. It was just like <laughs> stigma, like one after the other, like rapid fire, like stigma, stigma, you know. And she was, mm -hmm. she was using it when she was re referring to the, the stigma of the drug supply. She was saying, Stigma right. of the drug supply is bad, like drug supply, drug supply, drug supply, right? Poison drug supply. Stigma is like we have to remove, we have to remove, remove the stigma of the drug supply, and and yet so they can say that about the drug supply, but they don't use they don't you ever use the word stigma and dis disability, but mm -hmm. I mean that's huge. I mean, oh, it is. the whole the whole. Um, social assistance system here in BC and all across Canada, it's, it's basically um, discriminatory, right from, right from the ground up, but like it's baked in, like the, the discrimin yeah. discrimination is baked yeah. right into the, right into the fabric of the whole pillared system. Yeah. It's, it's baked in discrimination all, all the way through. And, yeah, and, and then all they do yeah. is copy and paste as they go along and just tweak a few things yeah. and but keep the foundation going because status quo, right? That what's works. They don't want to change yeah. nothing. They yeah. seem to be yeah. just so they it's like the walls are like they are or the ears have a bunch of wax and they don't want to hear, right? It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. And ableism is one that's been so historic it's so historically normalized at this point that these like ableist ideologies are so baked into governments, institutions, like all of the different ways society operates and people have sort of bought into this idea that, you know, disabled bodies need to be monitored or surveyed or like infantilized or, you know, and that there needs to be some kind of state control or, and that's absolutely not <laughs> how we should be treating people and, you know, with basic human rights. But ableism, I think even in mainstream society still remains one of those ones that people are really afraid to challenge or really don't know how to talk about or but you're right it's completely baked in and you know these like this idea that disabled people shouldn't be able to choose their partner or have to declare their partner that's like very archaic thinking um or well, this idea that people should have to keep proving they're disabled over and over that's yeah. like not a valuable well, well, that, well that's the thing is that they have a declaration that if you have any changes to report if you have no changes to report they don't require you to send nothing in but if you have a major change to report, they have a declaration page that actually have says right on there. Have you been incarcerated? <laughs> yeah. uh, have you been imprisoned? Have you put in, been in, put in prison? Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, as, as this... Oh, and here's, oh, here's another new thing, too. I just found out from the ministry's office just just recently. Yeah. So, um, Sonia has to go to a medical uh, procedure coming up. And the doctor signed off on it, okay? Um, now it requires accommodation because her appointment is very early at the hospital to go to. 
So that would require, obviously, I'm on the island, so you can't take the ferry to get, get there in time. It'd be rushed. You just be, uh, and they want you to be relaxed with the procedure. Okay. So uh, regarding that, so now the form, the form, and even that this is the minister work, the one of the workers at the counter, as she even admitted that these forms are so outdated, they're so archaic, and you can't believe that why the government hasn't updated these forms. It doesn't have any mode of BC ferries on there, as for driving. Um, I think of a taxi, uh, plane, a float plane, whatever, but there's no ferry on there. So there's nowhere to mark it off that to cover your, your, um, your travel expense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like that's how outdated it is. And they, they agreed that things have to change. Like, and they're frustrated. I can, you know, and I, I can, I can tell that they want to see so much change and they're just at the front counter, they do all the mm -hmm. stuff and they submit it off, but they want to see change. Uh, we asked about, is the 125 going to be brought forward sooner? No, that's not going to happen. They said, no, <laughs> they started laughing. That's funny. Yeah. They said, no, you got to wait till July. Like, really? People are suffering now. You got to wait till then. So it tells me again, another systemic issue that they're deliberately delaying. Like, why the delay? I, I don't get the delay. Like, People's lives don't get put on hold. Um, so, what's, what's your take on that, Rowan? Like, uh, you know, with like uh, the inequalities of being like the delay tactics. Um, with that being said, then there was another topic, but I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. I'm going to get your your takeaway sure, on that. Part. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, you hit the nail on the head. Like, people are suffering and have been suffering for a long time. Like, CERB ran out a while back, and like, people are still. Like the cost of food is huge. We hear from people all the time, like they can't afford groceries anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a lot of working families out there with, you know, single parents who are trying to feed their kids who just can't afford groceries and are, you know, working multiple jobs or working gig work or trying to make ends meet and it's not working, like the cost of housing. Like it doesn't, yeah, anybody can look around and see that like it's absolutely not uh, there's an affordability crisis and there's a housing crisis and those yeah. things mean that for people um, it's extremely difficult and you know I think the measures that have been taken so far things like these $100 payments that BC Hydro makes that across oh. the board it's like there's a lot of people that are making a lot of money that don't need that $100 and if they could take that and like make it target I think you're right that equity and um, equity and justice needs to be really built into how we're making you know making interventions and that hasn't been what's been happening. Um, and so I think you're right that like people can't wait till July. People need support now. Um, well, that's uh, you know that's the thing is that with the the cost of everything so high, uh, you know, there's parents right now, single single parents, uh, single moms, single dads. I mean, and just the average person who is working at low income, uh, and even ones that are in higher income now, they're actually feeling the pinch of going, uh-oh, like, so there's a problem. If you're getting ones that are even higher up there and they're going, I can't do what I used to be able to do, what's going on? Now imagine the ones that are low income, how they're feeling, right? Yeah. And so the government officials watching this, like, like just imagine, put yourselves into into the, the shoes of a person of low income or even a person making a six-figure salary and they're struggling. And a person who's a mom or a dad just is bringing up their children, just a single mom or dad, and having to sacrifice taking a meal off the table so that their child can have something to eat, but they're going to go without so their child can have it, or cut back three meals a day down to maybe one meal a day. Like, it's really, uh, like, one of my neighbors actually is doing that. 
uh, it really heartbreaks me knowing that. Uh, but they have to sacrifice because, well, <laughs> they're paying high rent and they have to cut back where they need to cut back. And what else? Where else are they going to keep cutting? Right? They need to listen to people in their in their constituency of saying lived experience. This is what we're going through. Take and then take it to, you know, take it to the institution saying, okay. And regardless of the, of the partisan issues, right. Uh, you know, within the parties, they need to work together and saying, well, how can we make BC and every other province in Canada, a much better place? I'm, I'm sure if they can already work together rather than arguing, oh, oh no, I need to be in government. You need to sit in opposition. Like work together for God's sake, just once when, make things better. When you said uh, justice, Rowan, uh, that really that word means a lot to me too because that's actually a word yep. that I always use in like my ten me ten years of emails to mm-hmm. to MLAs and to the government here. I use the words righteousness and justice, and I I say, tell me how a clawback is an example of righteousness and justice. Like how, mm-hmm. if you can tell me that, and I mean, it's a, it's a, I know it's, it, it should be a simple question. I know, I know it's not in a sense, but mm. I mean, you know, the fact that they, that nobody can say that that's a righteous thing or it's a just thing. I mean, right there, that shows the perversion of, of the policy, right? It's like, so it's so in your face, like it's so obvious that it's not just it's not righteousness so why are you doing it you know and uh that that to me is the most frustrating thing like i like i said i spent 10 years of writing emails and i'm always using the words justice and righteousness and then like (laughs) prove to me that that is that your policy is a just is a just thing if you prove to me that it's a just thing i'll i'll go away you know i won't bug you anymore i'll just go away but prove to me first you know Mm-hmm. So, a lot of these things are just like policy driven, uh, and it so many things need to change. Um, yeah, what's your what's your take on uh, on that, Rowan? Um, you know, regarding these policies, uh, I, I you know obviously they're deliberately written that way uh, to suppress uh, you know down to people's incomes. I mean, you know, I just want your take on that, and then I'm kind of uh, stem into uh, about this minimum wage going up too. Uh, I've been hearing mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of good things, bad things. Uh, good things where, yeah, people are going to have a few more dollars, maybe, uh, yeah. but Hopefully. the impact that it's going to have on society <laughs> is uh, not so good because it's going to make all the prices now keep going up even further. So now, if people who aren't going to those places they may go to the grocery store now those prices are going to go up even higher so uh you know it's called I mean, cutting all the taxes within the small business giving them a break now now the money flows better i, I just so much inequality but i guess policies again <laughs> so uh yeah, yeah what do you take on this mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that can be a really frustrating thing about you know, doing advocacy work or doing lobbying work, where you can see that there are policy interventions that would be really useful and impactful, um, and then you see them not happen. It can be very frustrating. Uh, we have a thing called the Blueprint for Justice, which outlines mm-hmm. our policy platform um, in four different areas, from economic security to climate justice and the sort of you know extreme impacts that people who are low income or people with disabilities and seniors are are experiencing because of climate extreme weather events and things like this. 
Um, and so, you know, I think the problem isn't that there aren't great policy solutions out there. The problem is getting the people with the authority to make those changes, make them. Um, but I do think one thing that's interesting about our times right now is that, like, for example, more and more people who are historically of like middle class income are needing to access food banks, for example. Um, yes. Which is really interesting. It's like more and more people, I think, understand that serve, you know, during times of crisis, many people had to access supports. And I think that's becoming more understood and normalized and hopefully a little bit less stigmatized. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that will mean more public support for, you know, bringing the rates up to the poverty line, for implementing better food, you know, food security systems across BC, for investments in things like free child, free child care. Um, and other universal systems of free dental. Why don't we have dental care for people? People can't afford to go to the dentist. Like, why don't we have, you know, programs for low-income folks to access basic basic healthcare needs? Um, I think Fair Pharmacare is another good one, where it's like people understand that medication is expensive and that, you know, people shouldn't have to pay hundreds of dollars out of pocket just to stay alive. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that there is like public support and sentiment for many of the policy recommendations being made to government. And so it's really a question of how to get these things implemented and, and how to like move that power to do, do the right thing. And I think you're right that there are more people affected now. So it is normalizing the discussion. But what I mm -hmm. what I wanted to highlight, too, is, um, you know, now and in the past there, I think there's this kind of a wrong understanding of people thinking that you know, a dis disabled life isn't worth living somehow. Mm. So, you know, if it's not worth living, it must be worth not supporting either. Like, uh, you know, th this kind of undercurrent stigma, if you will, of people yeah. saying, well, we know, we know your life sucks. We know your life sucks as a disabled person. So why don't we just let your life suck then and not support it, you know? And uh, I think that's been a prevailing, I mean, it's kind of an unsaid thing. I mean, nobody wants to say it out loud, like, God forbid. But it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it, it is kind of an undercurrent of, thing, of something that's not said, but it's a very prevalent thing of, like, a dis disabled life is not worth living, so go on and let your life suck. Or, or like in the case of MAID, you know, let's end it if it's not worth supporting then like here here you can go kill yourself but we're not going to support support you financially yeah <laughs> you know? and, and, and that's you know like, that's uh, exactly what so many people have been saying uh, in the disability community is saying well they they want to live they you just give us the you know, the proper supports mm -hmm. and and the income supports and the proper supports to support their disability uh you know if Maybe there's other equipment they need to upgrading, but they can't afford to buy it. So now they suffer, and then their health diminishes down. And the government goes, "Well, yeah, but you're not you're not contributing into society anyway, right?" So, and, and that's wrong. Like exactly, is that that narrative? People have the worth. It doesn't matter if they're disabled or not. They're they're people. They have that. They that's who they are. I mean, and society has to accept who they are. Just because they don't put put back into the community, why they why they can't put back into the communities? They don't have the resources. Well, give them the resources. They can put money back in the community. They but, can do but, things. But we still are taxpayers, and that's the other thing exactly. that bugs me too. Yeah. Is is there yeah. always there seems yeah. to be a, a a false understanding again that yeah. you know if if the provincial government gives all this money to the disabled, it's like it's money that's going to be flushed oh, away, and you're not going to see it again. I mean, are you kidding me? 
really, yeah. if they put all that money into the system again, I mean, that's yeah. probably the best way to redistribute the wealth uh -huh. because like I'm going to be, be spending the money and, and like yeah. uh, supporting all these other people uh, and you're going to be spending the money and supporting all these people locally. Um, we're, like we're not going to be scrolling it away in like investment funds or, or shares or bonds or anything like that. We're actually yeah. just going to be going out and spending it back into the community again. Yeah. So, so this yeah. Like, <laughs> like there next. See? Yeah, right there. There you yeah. go. This, <laughs> yeah. this idea that this idea that uh, you know money spent on the disabled to raise the rates is going to be wasted money is ridiculous. Of course it's not. It, it's it's it's. They think that money is just going to disappear and they're not going to see it again. Well, that's that's false. That's a false narrative. Well, the minister just recently, uh, before she was announcing about the town hall meeting, she was promoting of uh, talking about the uh, food banks. Mm -hmm. Like why? Why? Like just give the money to to the disabled in, in British Columbia, where now, like you mentioned, Neil, is now hey, they, now they can they can blow, they can buy what they need. Mm -hmm. They know what's best. People know what's best for their dietary uh, needs. Uh, you know, if they have diabetes. I mean, they have to eat a, a special, specific diet. They have to watch their sugar levels. But you go to a food bank, they're not going to have all that nutritional stuff there for them. So uh, giving people the money and resource that they need, they can actually use that more effectively. Uh, I'm all for food banks if it's a, just an emergency. But it, and how, how society is now taking it is... As we as we you know learned uh, that you mentioned you know and, and Rowan like during COVID yeah like it was it was something that yeah it was uh, unprecedented that people needed that help right away okay now food banks were blossoming people needed that help now we now learn to kind of adapt away from uh, from that that part of now going okay now we got income security how do we how do we fix this it's a systemic issue so. Uh, and I'm not going to focus on basic income stuff, but is we need something like that to I don't know to get people going, like something like a serb, derb, something in there where it's going to get things boosted up, um, and that kind of stems into the that Canada disability thing. But uh, I don't know. Well, that's, I think yeah. yeah, you've named it because that's the difference between you know food charity and food justice. Like food yeah. banks were originally formed as like a, a World War II response to feed people as a temporary yeah. measure. I was going to become... say that it was a wartime measure, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was temporary they... back then. And I, it was like soup kitchens. And my mom used to tell me stories because she, uh, she actually worked in it during the war. So she would tell me a lot of stories of what went on. And uh, when she said food banks, they, they weren't even supposed to be a part of our, our fixture. And, and, as she got older, she kept saying, why, why are they pushing this narrative about food banks? We don't need it. We just give people more money. And, and I, of course, I would be advocating going, oh, you know, this needs to be changed. Brent, yeah, this and that, just stop, stop. No, no, her and I would get in arguments. No, we need yeah. to stand up for what we believe in. We need, to, we need to stand up for our rights of who we are as Canadians. And so, I, I, you know, she taught me a lot going forward. And I learned a lot. Seniors, they would tell you so much back then and i look back then of what i mean geez when my gosh just decades ago you know rowan neil anyone watching my gosh i i can remember going to the store getting a chocolate bar and i, I didn't buy too much junk food you know, i do a paper route and uh, do some babysitting way back when right but i'd save my money to buy a bicycle but anyway so 25 cents for a chocolate bar yeah, i remember that 35 cents for a small bag of chips like one of those little snacks uh you know ones 
and a bottle of pop for 35 cents. It came to a dollar five, including the deposit. Now there's no tax. There was no tax, no no viral fee, no nothing. So I made an agreement. They said, okay, go do your paper route, bring back the bottle, and we'll just charge you a dollar. One dollar bill, yeah, paper bill. <laughs> what is that? What is a paper yeah. bill? One oh, dollar. So no, I, I, I remember going to the corner stores and. Uh, and uh, my sister would always get like a whole bag of the penny candies. Like she'd, yes, she'd get like, yes. a whole too, huge I... bag of penny, penny candies. But for me, I would, I would, I didn't like the penny candy stuff. So I would get, just get like four chocolate bars for a dollar, right? And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it was great. I was like, and the chocolate bars were huge at that oh, time. Oh, they were too. bigger. They were big. And it was oh, like, yeah. four chocolate bars, great for a buck. It's like, yes, you know. Um, but I wanted to get back to what you said, uh, Rowan, about, um, you mentioned the word uh, charity, and I think that is another really important word to focus back in on too, because again, the entire social assistance system is is pillared or or founded on charity. It's not mm -hmm. founded on any kind of justice or that or that you deserve this. You know that your life is a little bit more difficult, so. We, we, the government, are willing to support you. It's completely 110% all like founded on charity. It's like, well, we're, we're just going to give you this like pittance out, out of charity because we're, we're like the good government. So we're, we're willing to give you charity, but we're not willing to acknowledge that, uh, that your uh, survivor's pension is is worth protecting like you know like all these labor laws for example going getting back to my pension like all these labor laws protect pensions as a protected income and yet the government says oh it's not protected and i mean even when it comes mm -hmm. down to, to rates like it used to be mm -hmm. not that long ago that uh pwd income support it was a protected pension Right, and, and, and then the governments perverted it and took it away and said, you know what, you don't deserve that as a protected income or as a protected pension. We're just going to uh, say it's all, it it's all charity now, and yeah. that's, that's the wrong-headed move again. Like it just, it's very disrespectful, um, and again, it 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 putting less worth on people that are vulnerable, not just not just uh, people with disabilities, but anybody that's vulnerable on on income assistance it's, it's basically saying you know what anybody on income assistance deserves to be othered deserves to be a less than deserves to be you know um just kind of discarded and thought of less like you're you're a less person and we can treat you as a less person and it doesn't matter because your life sucks <laughs> you know that's cut and we will just let let it suck because we know it sucks you know kind of thing and that's just uh, like again it's a wrong-headed it's a wrong-headed notion you know and i think there was a the uh, government has to a, walk back from that yeah there was a uh, a gentleman who was uh sitting in front of the ministry's office in downtown victoria just a couple of days ago and so i uh wanted to walk in there. We just had to drop off four. That's it, right? And there was a long lineup. I didn't realize. And some lady had a radio blaring really loud, and the security wouldn't let her in. She was really causing a scene, uh, unfortunately. But I can understand that. And I didn't know the conversation, so I, yeah, that's fine. And she's like, the lineup's back there. I'm like, well, thank you very much for telling me. There was a guy right there, and he says, yeah, the lineup's right behind me. And he looked really down and out. So, uh, wow, well, we had to wait for a little bit. So I talked to him. 
And I said, well, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm an advocate. I can't change the world. And I, I don't try to change the world. I, I can try to make it a better place. Right. And so I, I said to him, talk to me. Like, he says, well, you know, I, I don't want to talk to anybody. So I, anyway, long story short is I, he talked to me. And I, I said to him, like, I'm here to listen. Like, I'm not, I'm not government. I'm not here to, uh, you know, to single you out or saying you need to prove yourself to me. If you want to talk to me, talk to me. And he, so he did. He talked to me very briefly. And I said, look, I'm here for you, right? I'm here to listen. I'm here to take notes, mental notes. And I will take that forward. And I'll try to make changes to help you. He says, thank you. Like, they're not really touched here. Like, he said, thank you. Like, knowing that somebody's actually there to listen. Because he says, those people in there, they don't want to listen. They don't care. I go, well, we have to make them care. Because people have value. Their lives are value. And so this goes to anybody watching this right now. Like, all we are, we're just here to try to make some change. To try to focus on, on all the inequalities. What can we do to, as... Um, as allies, as advocates, as citizens, what can we all do to make things better, a better place? Because everyone has lived experience. They all have their stories. And, you know, there's so much infighting going on. It's all got to stop. I yeah. mean, my gosh. Yeah. If they could all have all their neat little ideas and bring them all forward. And not, we can always sometimes not always agree with things, right? Um, but there's also things, a lot of things that we can. And I think as society... Um, even including government, like you need to listen to um, to people across the country in British Columbia. We got a, such a beautiful province here. So many people are moving here. Let's let's prove that we can make it a, a good place for everybody. Mm -hmm. We can. I know we can. Um, and you know, and so like Rowan, I uh, um, You know, what is what's your view on on that? Um, it, we can we can make this a better place for sure. Absolutely. Like I think. You know, I think about abundance and what it would look like to experience the world in an abundance framework of yeah. like BC is a wealthy, yeah. <laughs> very wealthy <laughs> province. We absolutely have the money to like take care of people and be kind yeah. to people and treat people well. You know, I come at this work from a human rights based lens too. And it's like disabled mm -hmm. people are human beings. Like, why aren't yeah. we humanizing people? Why aren't we giving people beyond the basic needs we can afford much more than that we can afford you know kind and generous world building together and you know i i don't see why we don't there's really no reason why we don't aside from political will um and i just yeah i think that you know what you said before about mage like the way that we've treated collectively as a society the way that we've treated disabled people for hundreds of years has been outrageous and atrocious and the way that you know people were forced to navigate covid in terrible ways and things like heat domes that impact disabled people disproportionately, like these things are happening and there's absolutely preventable measures we can take um, to treat each other compassionately and kindly and generously. And I, I just don't see why we don't do that. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much patchwork systems across the country and all those patchwork systems and people that are watching right now, they're like, well, what does he talk about patchwork systems? When I say that, we've got EI, we've got GIS, uh, GIS is for seniors, uh, OAS for seniors. We've got um, child tax credits. We've got GST. You know, with EI, we've got all these, all these tax measures. And what is that equal to? A, a basic income or a UBI or basic income. Like it's a universal income. It's there. All we need to do, and, and we got all the programs for in each province. Um, some are a lot less, way below the poverty level. 
which is unacceptable. Or, so we need to bring all these up, right? And or you tie have, it all together. Or you have things like uh, where they give with one hand and, and take with another. Like, oh, yeah. like yeah. for example, oh, the like for example, the bus pass. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Bus pass here. I mean, it used to they be still like never it used to be like every, everybody would get it, and then they said, well. You can get it, or we'll take it away, but we'll and, and we'll give you money for food. So it's an either or, right? It's like yeah, we'll give you money for food, or you can ride the bus. Like, but but yeah. not both. We we can't give you both, but we can. It's an either or thing, and that's again, that's kind of just a perverse policy, kind of putting the hammer down and saying, you know, choose. Do you want food or do you want a bus? You know, and that's not right. <laughs> I remember the one minister who was in charge of that. And, uh, you know, I'd run into her every so often. She's like, Brent, I said, it's not fair. You need to need to restore that. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's equity in the system. It is, you know, all these magic words, right? It was these unicorn words. And, and I said, no, like, come on, like you need to restore that. She goes, people can choose if they don't want a bus pass, take the $52. I go, Okay, so you take a, a taxi across the city to an appointment or maybe shopping, take it back. There's your $52. Sorry, you got to stay isolated for the rest of the month now versus having a $45 a year bus pass. Yeah. Give them that. They were, give them the $52. I mean, on top of that, I mean, wow. They were, they were changing the system for one for the 1% or 2%. Yeah. You know, let's, right. let's yeah. change the whole system. Let's tear it down for... To, to accommodate the one or two percent that don't take the bus. I mean, yeah, I think there was only five or six people in in one one you know, area. Just, it's just crazy. That actually said they didn't want it. Yeah. Oh, oh and that was the DTS. <laughs> they, oh, yeah, no, it was the D uh, disability. Um, no, no, STS. Sorry, special transportation subsidy is what it was. That's right. And they got enough for those people in an isolated area had enough to pay pay for car insurance because mm-hmm. they're there. It was cheap. Now they took it away and they said, okay, we're going to give everybody $52 and, or you can have a bus pass. Well, the people in, in, in a rural area, they don't have transportation, so they need it. They just right. took the money. So now they can use that as a taxi, maybe an Uber. Well, now they got Uber. A lot of those didn't have it back then. However, it was isolated away. And then, of course, they had Greyhound back then. Now, when Greyhound now pulled away, now they don't even have that transportation. So that comes to, to another whole aspect of transportation again is giving people that choice of saying what you can have or not have, like claw it away or give it. And I tell you, they, uh, the government at that day, they actually got scrutinized because I still remember that one. I don't know if you remember that one. So they gave that, remember that, you know, here's $77. Well, here, yeah. $52 for a bus pass, but you get to have $25 left. People are yeah. like, so I only get $25? Then they, they realized they screwed up. So they said, okay, fine, you know what? Let's just give everybody the $77 back. Then they gave everybody a fifty-two dollars, and like, wow, well, everyone got this increase. But then you still ended up with a choose that bus pass. Mm-hmm. But it was in the mandate. It was still in the government's current mandate was to restore that. Yeah. And but sorry, wasn't. we've destroyed the computer. <laughs> but the computer was broken. <laughs> they blame yeah. you. Oh, no. they, they, they broke the computer's it. been destroyed. I they didn't can't... know about this. No, no, it is. It is. Yeah, so they, I called. That was their it. excuse: is that they they destroyed the computer, so they they couldn't oh, re- no. they couldn't give that back the bus pass. That was so the, I, that was their reasoning. So I sat yeah. down in the in the former minister's um, office when when he was in opposition, and then he became our premier. I still have the photo of that. One day I'll have to show it to you, Ron. When we <laughs> will meet up one day. I got the picture. 
And so uh, we sat in the office and, and that was when the bus pass broke out. And they, there was this issue of what? I go, no, they, they took the bus pass away. They're going to take it away. I haven't heard anything about this. And, and John says, what, is this true? And his staffer goes, John, yeah, this is true. I just got a, I just got a message saying, hey, they're, they're going to be taking this away. Oh, my gosh. And that's how I got involved with this, the $45 a year bus pass, because I was out, outraged. I said, how that's going to affect people's lives. And he's like, well, no, no, it's a basic means of transportation. You can't just take, give it and take it away. Yeah. And, and at that time, that was when I was uh, in communication quite a bit with uh, Sam Sullivan, you know, the uh, employee right. Sam Sullivan. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, one of the questions I asked him, other than you know, my, my clawback situation, was they said, well, kind of, what, what kind of went down with about the, about the bus pass? And he said, to be honest, Neil, he said, everybody kind of had a gun to their head. It was like, you either, you either do this, like vote for this, or we're just going to take the whole thing off the table, like all the money and everything off the table. So it's either we, we give the bus pass or like claw it back or whatever, do that or nothing. And so wow. all the MLAs, that, that's the way it was given to them. It's like, it's like a party whip thing. It's like, uh, Mm-hmm. All the all the MLAs had to kind of vote in line, and it was kind of forced on them. It's like you vote for this or else we're gonna like just take the whole thing away, and and, then, and so yeah. so yeah, it was like everybody had the gun to their head and like vote this way or 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 nothing. And then and, we'll then we'll just say the computer got dismantled. Yeah. And so I remember <laughs> phoning up Best Buy because I, I used to do computer programming way back when, and and so I knew a lot about coding on that and thinking well this is not hard i mean you just copy paste i mean you mm-hmm. could duplicate it i used to duplicate my discs all the time <laughs> copy paste i mean and they told me that i'm thinking okay my gosh and i remember talking to the government i said are you kidding me i used to do programming i said you you bought me to believe this well well no that that's true that that's what happened i go no it's not true <laughs> but whatever i said it's fine spin it out that's fine spin it out there i mean everybody believed that i mean yeah. We're getting to the top of the hour yeah. here. Uh, yeah. Do we want well, to have closing comments from anyone? Sure. Yeah, Rowan, I'll, I'll uh, pass it over to you and then we'll have our closing comments. I, it, before, I, I just want to thank you so much for uh, coming on. And this has been an awesome segment and we'll have to do this again. But I'm going to put the mic over to you and go for it. Sure. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. This has actually been just a delight to chat about some of these things. Um, yeah. And just talk about it because it, you know, these things are realities for many people, and it's yeah, it's really important to have these conversations and keep on keeping the good work that all of all of you and both of you and the audience, I'm sure, is doing as well. We we can do a lot better. Hope we do. Yes, most definitely. And there's so much change that needs to happen, and you know, advocacy going forward. Uh, it doesn't. You know, advocacy never takes a break. Uh, it's tireless advocacy work. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it because I, I I get to hear lived experience stories from so many people. Um, and and it's just one thing I've learned in life is to is to bring people all together. Um, I used to have it on Twitter space. I moved it over to here because it was having the guests having, they've always been the, the number one focus of, of my show. And uh, just a lot of technology glitches on Twitter space. And I, I fell mm-hmm. overall and, and there was other it was just so many things and so i anyway so i i brought it over to here because uh, that way we can stay focused on advocating and and talking about the issues of what today of what and going forward of yesterday today tomorrow uh what needs to change and 
how it affects people's lives. Maybe they have lived experience of what they're going through and they tell me their stories and, and we can uh, channel all this together and um, make positive change. Uh, Neil, uh, over to you. Yeah, well, I just, I've really enjoyed our little talk, talk today. It was, it's been good. Yeah. It's fantastic. I, yeah. And, you know, having, having you join on today, Rowan, it, it was awesome. Um, I look forward to having you come back on again. We'll, we'll definitely reach out. Absolutely. I'll get to reach out to you and we'll, we'll have another segment and uh, we'll continue on because um, these important uh, discussions, they, uh, they never take a break. That's true. And we didn't even talk about the Canada Disability Benefit, so yeah. we'll, we'll add that for the agenda for next sure. time. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Cool. I know we, we ran out of time on that, but definitely I'd like to um, uh, dive into that conversation too, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thanks, yeah. Ron. Well, I want to say thank you very much, uh, Ron, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>